0: Hello, Australia. Welcome to Wish You'd Known. This is a podcast for the broader Australian advice community. And hello if you are over there, over the ditch uh, and listening in New Zealand, because believe it or not, we've got some Kiwis that listen. Hello. And we can't do this podcast, firstly, without Danny Visser. But secondly, Danny, who do we need to thank today? We
1: need to thank Zurich and One Path for helping us produce this. It is a industry initiative and it is a forum to bring opinions to life, but there are always costs to doing these things. So thank you to Zurich and OnePath for sponsoring this particular show.
0: Love that. Now, today we've got Peter Dimitidis. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Now, can you just set the scene who you are, what you do and what your pin number is for right. the, <laughs> sure. for, the, for the listeners? Cuz
2: nobody will be listening, absolutely. No. Uh, so I've been in financial advice for call it 15 years and in finance for a total of 25. I'm an actuary by study, uh, so that makes me a bit of a mass nerd. But actually, I would call myself now a financial storyteller more right. than anything else. And so right. I've and yeah. for those fifteen years in advice, most of that has been in my own practice. Yeah,
0: so practice owner, advisor. Yep. Seen it all.
2: Been there, done that, got the t-shirt.
0: Love it. And uh, you, you know, you've been around the traps, Peter, for you know a couple of years. <laughs> Our supporter Zurich One Path, uh, you've had some good dealings with them over the years? Yeah, l- lucky enough to um, do some work, actually,
2: with the team over the years. Um, and I'd imagine scare them somewhat. They've allowed me to come in and, and shake things up a little bit for them and create some new concepts with them. It's been really, really exciting and fun. Yeah. yeah
1: look, it's been a uh, interesting couple of years. It's often referred to as the perfect storm that continues to sort of flow through with lots of changes and there's this relentless change pressure. And at Zurich, we've really enjoyed working with Peter because you've always been able to see the opportunity that actually exists within that changing landscape. And look, you haven't only just seen it, you've actually capitalised on it because within your business, Peter, you've, and I know you won't say this, so I'm going to say this on your behalf, you've actually nearly tripled your business without tripling your staff. So that's, you know, in, in this sort of environment, that's a pretty amazing feat. And that's what we'd really like to talk about today and how you've achieved that, you know, how you're within your particular practice addressing the cost to provide advice to the consumer, what you're doing, because that's, there was a, you know, it's been a pretty hot topic because there's a lot of reports out there that say the consumer only want to pay <laughs> 500 big ones yeah. for financial advice, and they think that that's appropriate. And then obviously it costs just under $3,000 according to advisor ratings to actually provide advice. So there's a bit of a gap between what people yeah. want to pay and what it actually costs to produce just the advice, like just the raw costs.
2: Yeah. Look, I've been looking at that a lot because we actually sort of really play in that end that's the everyday consumer. So we sort of play in the lower cost, you know, more in the few hundred of doll- dollars rather than the many thousands of dollars for advice. So we're already sort of playing in that space. And the thing that, look, the analogy I'd give is I feel like the advice community is trying to sell cheap, bad chocolate. Like, but if we just lower... that's
1: white when you actually right, wrap it.
2: Right, <laughs> and it's that crusty and, then, and, even the, and even the wrapping isn't any good. And, and we keep going, oh, but if we just lowered the cost, more people would buy. Mm. And it's flawed because when you look at the market, I don't know whether you looked at what's selling out there for a chocolate at the moment for Easter, you know, Cocoa Black and these other brands can get you to pay $60 for Easter chocolate, right? Now, if you did a survey and said how much would you pay for an Easter egg, people would say, I wouldn't pay more than five, we're we're asking the wrong question. That's not the question. How much would you pay for a unique bespoke Easter box that took you through a journey of the money going over the whatever, 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 which is what Coco Black did and people were writing checks for 60 bucks. Mm. So I think we're asking the wrong question.
1: So what question should, you know, if, if, if I'm a, you know, person that's looking at stepping into, you know, maybe starting my advice journey, what question should you actually centre... That around like what what should I be asking right so I'd be asking what would irresistible
2: advice look like like that thing that people would queue around the corner and pay any amount of money for what would that look like and in like that's separate from how much money they have I think we do have an obsession with but if people don't have that money they're not going to pay I just think that's flawed. They are paying. They're paying for all sorts of things. They're paying for $2,000 of trips, you know, over the Christmas holidays, or they're paying for expensive sunnies, or they're paying for, they're already spending. We're not talking about those people that are truly on the breadline pro bono advice sort of people. And that is a separate category to me. What we're talking about here are those people between that and wealthy millions of dollars in investable funds, right? Mm. There's a middle ground and they're spending. It's just the They don't want to spend on us. And I think it's because we're not producing irresistible offers.
0: Mm. So, was there a tipping point for you, Peter, in your professional career as an advisor and business owner that thought, hang on, what I'm doing here isn't sustainable or what I'm doing here, it feels like it's not right or it's old school or it's not my thing. Like what led you to be, I guess, advice woke for, yeah. want, for want of a better word,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we need to. That's fantastic advice work. Um, I think it's when I really start to analyze what the clients we were interacting with connected with. Mm. It was never the technical, it was never the analysis, it was never like all of the work we do, and it's good work. Yeah. Right? You're it's an good, Right, yeah, right. Harry heritage. Deeply nerdy, okay? Mm. All that great work was not what they connected with. It was when you could bring clarity, when you could tap into the emotional reason for their decisions, when you could help them make a big decision, when you could really clear the smoke, lay out a couple of paths and help them take that step. That's what they engaged with. Mm. The other stuff was what needed to get done, but it wasn't what made it irresistible and it wasn't what made them lean in and it certainly isn't what makes them refer. Mm. So, I, you know, I don't think anybody's ever said, hey, I went to this great advisor and they consolidated my, my funds into this awesome super fund. You should go see them. I just don't think that's what happens. No. It's it's something different that they connect with.
0: Well, I think it is that, you know, you're, as a client, they're coming to you because they ultimately want a third-party sounding board with some options. Right. And because, you know, if it's a, a couple that are sitting there, you know, we've all seen it. They all go, oh, he doesn't listen to me. She doesn't listen to me, <laughs> whatever. But you're just that third party. I'm the facilitator. Correct. I'm the project manager for the project that we can work together for. Yeah. Uh, I'll charge you for it, but you'll get value. Yeah. And it's not about fun anymore.
2: No. And it's certainly the thing I'm seeing is the critical – Like if you're starting out in this business, the critical thing I would get you to develop is your critical thinking, Mm -hmm. your ability to look at chaos, which is what numbers are and finance for most people and also their life and go, right, the next best thing you should do is this. And then, hey, how about thinking about that? And you could end up achieving this in the future. So, that critical thinking stuff is what most people don't have. And that's where overwhelm is. And Danny and I have had this conversation a number of times about, you know, all the information about finance you could ever want is out there. They don't need to come to us for information. That's right. Right? What they need is that clarity.
0: Yeah. And I, like, I sound like a broken record, but when YouTube took off, all the yoga instructors, all the PTs thought they were out of business. Because I don't need you. I can watch a video on YouTube. Eh, no, I need someone in my grill. I need something right. real. A guide. I need something tailored. Yeah. So it's the Absolutely. difference between information and information and how it applies to me.
1: Correct. The journey. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think it's a really important thing and this is, is part of – I remember you telling me a story, Peter, around a, a client who came to you and told you all the things that y- – they thought they should tell a financial advisor. Yeah. Like, I want to off the house, send the kids to school. All, and you could just see that they were dead inside. Mm. You know, put bluntly, it just didn't inspire them. It wasn't what they actually wanted out of life. So, you know, in terms of connecting emotionally, but also connecting with what that person wants to be, I think that's a really important skill set that I'm seeing in all the businesses that I spend time in that are really resonating with clients that are, you know, producing this advice that say is ir- irresistible, they've really um, sat down with that client and, and sort of pre-understood where that person perhaps wants to go yeah, and how they can get there because your, your experience with that particular client, she actually wanted to travel for six months and work for six months but it wasn't what she was telling you. So you sort of need no. that bullshit radar as and an advisor. And that's
2: the best title I ever heard for what we could be. Mm. I don't think this industry is yet. But what we could be, and I think people would pay anything for us to provide, is lifestyle architects. Mm. You know, so, that's got some technical to it. You know, An architect has skills. It's about numbers. It's about drawing. But what they build is a vision. You
0: right? need to be licensed to be an architect. So, maybe a lifestyle drafts person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go down another licensing angle. <laughs> no, but I, I get oh, you. Right? It's a it, different thing entirely.
0: That's right. And I want to know, Peter, like, you've been advisor for how long? Yeah. Three years? <laughs> <laughs> how old are you now? I've been, I've been
2: an advisor over 15 and yeah. in finance over 25. Okay.
0: So, I don't know if you're taking new clients at the moment, are mm-hmm. you? Uh, yes. Ish. It yes. has to be the absolute right one for yep. you. Yep. But let's say an advisor in your team, talk us through in your practice what the new client journey is. Yeah. So, it's, it's so
2: interesting. The I'm spending far more time with people at the beginning for a new client and helping them understand who they are. Mm. Like that is far more. And and I mean the getting to the point where the husband admits to the wife and they've been married 20 years that he's always wanted to pull apart and rebuild a Harley. Now, that may sound like people are going, but that's not what advice is. That's absolutely what advice is. If you can get them to the point where they can enunciate clearly what they really want – then it's going to be so much easier for me to help them get there. Whereas I feel like advice misses the mark a little because I don't think we can get that deep. I actually think the process hampers us a little in that because it quickly gets into technical. Whereas all that's emotional, Mm. all of that's engaging and potentially all of that takes time. Mm. I think probably, you know, over time, we will be extending our intro of clients process because I'd like them to go on that dream journey for longer. I'd like them to build that habit a bit better so that then when you ask them, hey, what do you want? Mm. They've got a bigger picture of that, you know, that's clearer.
0: So, this new process, so an advisor comes to your office now and might see Hayley, okay? New client off the street. Are they filling out uh, some data first before the meeting?
2: No, we look, we generally would have a conversation first. Um, we do collect the data because it's interesting. The data prompts the deeper conversation because it lets you, it's an anchoring point for people. Mm. So when they fill something in, it's an anchor for more questions. Yeah. So I certainly think I would never avoid the fact find. I know some people are saying, well, oh, we shouldn't go that deep. I just think it gives you license to ask more. Gee, how did that come about? Oh, why do you have that? You know, like that sort of stuff can be drawn out of it. Mm. Um, And I think what it lets you do is for most people, they will have never painted their financial picture before. So they'll never have gone, gee, where are we at now? Mm. And I actually think that's one of the biggest gifts we can give is just a bit of a diagnostic. Did
1: you realise this is where you're at? Mm. (laughs) And with that diagnostic, Peter, do you keep someone like, it's great to walk into your office, sit with Hayley, understand that how do you keep me motivated when I leave the office? Do you have strategies around that? Because I think that's if you're going to be taking someone on this transformation journey, you can't just have a single conversation.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something, we're still working on this to be honest, but I think advice generally, and we in particular are focusing on this, is far more follow the bouncy ball. So when you go on any really great engagement process, so that could be, um, it could be your trainer, like they might be really well organised and have a structured program over 90 days, or you know those sort of things are really powerful because you follow the bouncy ball. Mm -hmm. And merely getting the update of, oh, step two is about to happen, this is what we're going to embark on, helps people keep moving. Um, Momentum is really important to that point. And I think there's a, the uh, formal advice process has these sort of milestones in them where it can go silent. Everything can just go quiet for a period of time because we're working and we're working hard. I mean, we're doing all that stuff, but for the client, they go, they come to a halt mm. and that's a bad thing.
0: So first introduction, we get some basic data, have a chat on the phone. Yep, just all to of see ours is phone a- or virtual. Yep. So just if we're a right fit. Yeah. And then what happens after that call? Does your team send... A- a proposal document. Yeah, we do. So we actually
2: lay out um, our understanding of where they're coming from. Hmm. Therefore, the plan of attack, and I don't mean what the advice is, I just mean what the steps will be. So we sort of lay that out for them then and go, hey, this is what we do first, and this is what we do second, and then we need to do this. Um, More and more people we're seeing, and this applies to insurance in a big way, in the last month, so many of the Oh my goodness! My premiums have gone, gone up. How am I going to afford them? Conversations, right? And so for us, that means it's a cash flow conversation. So we're actually turning that into a well. Let's work out what you can afford. Let's work out how much extra cash you have. So that means there's a diagnostic of their cash flow mm. that needs to happen. So so that's what we lay out is what are the sort of di- what are the steps yeah. we're going to undertake. Here's a quote for what that'll be. All right, then we're going to do a whole lot of information
0: collection. And- so, you've sent a proposal document. Mm. Um, do, do you work like uh, if you want to engage, we pay 50% up front? Yeah, we,
2: we've started doing a deposit. Yeah. Um, and that's as much about getting them, to Danny's point, getting them start that momentum process because yeah. once p- somebody puts money down, any it's money. It's buy-in, yeah. It is. It's why, you know, I might pay for a course, otherwise you could get for free because it just, well, I'm going to turn up, you know. <laughs> I mean, in our industry, one of the things I think is hard and Danny can probably, you know, support this is, you know, webinars and we'll put these things on and they're free and people then don't turn up. Clients are the same. So to me, if some, if there's too much free or that they don't need to pay for till later, they may just not turn up. You've got to give them a reason to be attentive. Multiple reasons, yep. but money's one.
0: Okay, so they get the buy-in yep. um, pay deposit and then they come back for a, another hour session where we really start...
2: Yeah. So what we'll probably do, we'll do things in parallel. There's a lot of that in our practices, practice because that's an efficiency thing. So in parallel to them starting to fill in some sort of personal financial information, then you know the advisor is going to be digging more into their, what we would call dreams and, and their lifestyle or what their desired lifestyle is. Um, that's sort of done in parallel. Yep. And that can- sometimes be really clear and take one go, or sometimes you actually need to do a bit more of the financial digging to be able to then refresh what they want. Because it sort of draws that out of and them.
0: So talk about, you know, this parallel thing, while it's absolutely about goals and dreams and what they want their life to look like, you know, in the background, have we sent authority to super fans just to gather data? It's it's as much just their personal situation.
2: Sure. So yeah, at that point I'm less interested in the product than I am the the back of the envelope picture. So we just want to sort of get the ins, incomings, outgoings, yeah. totals. I don't like only I'm say
0: sort of that because it takes freaking eight years to get, it? <laughs> to get some info. Don't we all us. dread that? The minute you
2: get one of those funds, you're like, Oh no. I oh, know. <laughs> no.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's
2: horrible. But, but that's a good point. So anything we can do where the team can be acting in parallel. Mm. Um, so if there is something we can bring early, that we know we're going to need much later, we absolutely do that. Yeah, because 100%. It,
0: it's all good. Like I think my pet hate when I had my business was we've got this momentum. Oh, damn it, I can't get them back in for six weeks because it's going to bloody take this long for yep. you know X, Y, Z, Superfund to get some basic details. Yeah. So I guess that's just – because you won't want to lose momentum.
2: Correct, and I think it's – if you can understand that that's the case. So let's say that that's a given and you just can't avoid it then design something that could be occurring each week through those weeks. So maybe the first week you're asking them about things they've always wanted to do and never thought they could. And then the second week you're asking them about study. Have you ever, like you could actually drip feed a process where you collect things from them that feels like a journey to them. And it just gets them to the point where you've sort of caught up with the administrative nightmare. You've got to deal with behind the scenes. So I think um, designing a client journey in isolation from the reality of admin is a mistake what you can do is be clever about ensuring that they still see that as momentum and movement.
1: And how do you set that expectation with the client that you'll be, because tu- it sounds like you'll be touching base every kind of week to collect a bit more information, build the story as things are happening, as you say, in parallel with your business. Because I know with me, it's just, you know, to what Glenn said before, if you don't get all the information at once, it's just going to be so scattered that i finally get back to that person that I, you know, you know, yeah. how do you actually say to the client, look, we're going to be in contact over the next four weeks. Yep. How do you set that up so you get yeah. the, and retrieve the information? We learnt
2: that by messing it up, to be frank. So um, the the first few times we've tried to do that, we you, people drop drop off, you know, because they miss that one and then the next one and they fill it in and they don't. So the trick is if you're going to do, if you're going to break it up, you break it up into bite size. I mean, they could text you the answer. So, and that's where chatbots can be awesome too. So, this is where Messenger, all those things can be really cool. So, if you can, if they can immediately respond, you're fine. If they need to sit, have a quiet moment, log into something, like that's a nightmare. So, the more you can sort of break it up, the better. Now, that's why a whole lot of these cash flow programs are awesome because, with one setup of logins you can actually get feeds for everything you might have asked them anyway so i'm a bit of a fan now we're sort of doing that for these people we want to do the full deal with it's like let's just get them set up in something like moneysoft cuz we're going to get the feed for everything mm. you know then i don't have to ask all the insane questions yeah, <laughs> just, that's it's right. just there so it's so i think that sort of stuff even though you might not even be providing cash flow advice i believe if you're providing insurance advice you're providing cash
0: advice like
2: it's Affordability uh, is, it, is a real part of insurance advice.
0: And so a new client from go to woe, uh, if they want the dream package or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got a good name for it yet. We're still working on that.
0: Oh, you can call me. I can consult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how many meetings from go to woe, if someone wanted um, – Cash flow insurance. I want my super looked at. I want an investment account. I want a vision and vibe for my life. Yeah. What time frame? Yeah. In your be, business.
2: So for us, that would be over months because we wouldn't attack that in one big swoop. Yeah. We would prioritise that with the client. So we yep. talk through them. A piece of that could be so a chunk of it. So it could be the super or something like that. That may only be actual two big, chunky meetings, it could be as many as four or five. So Mm. it depends on the way they're engaging, you know, all that sort of stuff. We're getting, I mean, virtual has been fantastic for us. So the Mm. business is now fully virtual. And what that lets you do is set an expectation for the length of a meeting. And I know that sounds really simple, but if you say, oh, we're going to, you know, we've got our next appointment, which is the mm collection, and they see in their calendar that's 15 minutes, then they expect it to be 15 minutes and it generally is only 15 minutes. So, totally. so that time expectations thing when you chunk meetings out like that makes a big difference.
0: And if you look at, you know, and we'll probably move into this pricing thing and positioning, mm. but if you price your advice right to the right person, those series of five or six meetings over four months or five months Every time you connect, you're cementing relationship. 100%. Because it's deepening. And and this is why, you know, more clients doesn't equal better for your business.
2: Not always. And I think that's where, um, you know, we're probably going to get to that. That's where... When I see personalization and people going really deep with offers, you know, they sort of got these really wholesome, full advice offers. Um, You're right. You can get a lot more out of, say, a current client if you can provide more to them. But the mistake I see practices making is they do that in a very expensive to them way. So it's clunky. It's manual. It's time suck. It's like, it's It's not sleek to the client. either. No. So if, if it's inefficient to you, it's inefficient to them. And I think we're not recognising that enough in our industry is when it's hard for us, when it's clunky for us, when it takes time, that's two times for the client.
0: But also if you've got to go back to the client 15 times, oh, we've got to sign this, we've got to sign that, you're, you're losing a bit of...
2: Horribilis, um, honestly.
0: You know, credibility and, oh, do they actually know what they're doing? They
2: Horribilis. Want- I'm going <laughs> to stick with that word. I like <laughs> that. They wanted
0: me to sign this and then, oh, do they, are they competent? Mm. Because also
2: um, the benchmark for most consumers is one-click Amazon buy a book, right? And, I mean, I'm, I'm ma- massively guilty of that where I'm like, oh, there's a book there, click. Like, they've already got my details. They know what needs to be seen. I can do it in one yeah, click. I
1: get annoyed at putting that, my credit card details in right. now. Right. Like, that don't, annoys me.
0: Don't get right. the Kogan app. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly.
2: But that's a – you know, and that's a reality. So, we are comparing ourselves to one click to get something produced and then shipped to our house – And we are going, oh, what I need you to do is sign this 47 times and then scan it. And then if the scan's not good enough, I need you to get it. Like, the
1: it's horrible. We don't get a leave pass because we're financial services. Not at all. It's complex. In
2: fact, the consumer expects that we are leading the charge on tech. That's what's so funny, right? I would argue as an industry, we're well behind, Mm. about a decade, I'd guess. But the consumer thinks we'd be ahead because they see institutions, financial institutions, as, as full of money. So, therefore, surely you're advanced in tech.
0: Okay. Question with this uh, new vibe post-COVID where a lot of businesses have just gone, we're just 100% virtual. Mm -hmm. You know, we're saving time and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. There are some organisations, super funds, you know, the one in 15 funds that we want a wet signature for the authority or something like that. Are we saying, because I used to be like, hey, I might not need this form. I'm going to get you to just sign this. This is exactly what it is. It's going to stay in the file. (laughs) Like, are you express posting with sign he stickers? Right. It's a mess. Redundancy stuff.
2: Yeah. So we've still got some of that because it's unavoidable. Yeah. I'm pushing, I mean, I'm pushing really hard with product providers now because there are alternatives. Two factor authentication. People are now used to. With their banking say making a request that's sort of outside maybe their limit for a transfer, and it says, okay, we're gonna send you an SMS, there's gonna be a code, you've got to enter it in. Like people are used to that behavior now. Mm. Why can't we have that with a whole of this stuff? Once the client's set up, once so I get a new client might be a little different, okay? Once a client, whatever product it is, is set up, why can't we have that stuff? Why can't we have things that don't ever need a signature? Maybe it's when they come in and when they exit. Maybe those are the two times that yeah. need something like that. But honestly, I think it, for me, a signature is as at risk as anything else. Mm. It's not like it's perfect, right? You can't guarantee that's actually signed by somebody unless you see them sign it. So how is that more secure? Mm. You know, so I, I, this to me, there's a lot of push. We've got to demand more mm. in that
1: space. With your entire process, Peter, what's the – One, two or three things that you've actually done that have had the most impact? Like I know you're very big into iteration and slowly improving things. Are there things that come to mind that you're like, oh, just wish I'd done that? Yeah. Lots. (laughs) 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 We've got some
2: time. (laughs) Um, So a calendar appointment scheduling app, and it sounds really obvious and stupid and really is that a big deal. Anybody who's tried to arrange an appointment with a client – um, and measured how much time they and the client try to spend getting just an appointment, is ludicrous, um, and that's before they've even come in. So things like that, that shortcut toing and froing, that is in fact in no way building a relationship. You leaving a message and then them leaving a message and then you emailing me. That's not building a relationship. It's actually probably destroying it. Correct. So that transformed us, and we have types of appointments. We have we have gaps where the team you know, the client can't see certain parts of your schedule because the team have to do some deep work every Tuesday afternoon is the whatever time. So, we really manage that and it means the team can be more effective. So, that's one thing I wish we'd done heaps earlier, like heaps earlier. The other thing is um, we use a CRM that's not financial, not a financial advice-based one. And so, we have- What's that called? Zoho, mm. so it's like sugar or or, or, um, or something. all of those yeah. or any of those um, Salesforce. It's it's they're all similar, and what we have is when somebody's handing work off to the team, so, you know, another member of the team, we've got a form within the CRM they fill in, and what that means is you can have a tick box, you can have a field, you can have all sorts of things that automate the setting of the next task, so it can happen in the moment. They could be talking to a client. Tick the form, hung up with the client and it's already handed over. So, things like that where we've just gone to the minutiae of anything that is manual and not truly adding value, we try to automate or strip out the time. Mm. You know, that's made a big difference. For and us. your
1: team is growing. Yep. And one of the biggest challenge for practitioners is often the HR piece. <laughs> mm. So, I know from knowing your team that there's a lot of diverse personalities within that team. Yeah. And, you know, you do have a very consistent compliance process. What would your tips be for managing, like, you know, a diverse team is very productive. It has a lot of benefits, but obviously every personality isn't precise. As a leader, how would you make sure that that precision happens with diverse personalities?
2: Yeah, so, so diversity is really important, but alignment is equally important. And that comes down to values. And I hate saying that stuff because it sounds like big corporate you know, poster on the wall, here are our values. But we truly have a list of things that aren't sort of just things we say, but they're actually characteristics of people we look for. So that's actually the way we so define values. Hire. Yeah, literally. So they need to tick those um, to actually be even considered, so we test for it as part of the early hiring process. So it means we've narrowed down. There's like a common ground between them all because they've all at least got those values. Everybody's got about forty. We've got a list of six, right? So that a need to have that they need to have exactly, and and they're very personal to us. Um, you know, one of them is we like to listen to people's stories. Now that's now people you'd never see that in a corporate value statement, right? But it's something we inherently want to make important to us because we might be efficient and automated and really, you know, have the process slick, but we do it so that we can take the time to engage. Mm. And that's being willing to listen to the story about the 21st birthday where there was gate crashes and they can't believe their daughter did whatever, whatever that is. So, but we, we look for that in the hires and that's what makes a difference. It means, and they are, you're right, they're quite broad and
1: quirky, but they have that overlap. Would you mind sharing some of the other ones? Cause that's brilliant. I've never heard that.
2: Yeah. So, so listening to people's stories, um, we've got, um, a focus, a heavy focus on curiosity and innovation. In that, we're really curious about what we can fix or do differently. You know, so that's something that's really important. Um, we've got a default one. You know, we say what we're going to do, and that sounds obvious, but actually, it's meant we've changed the way we describe steps for example if we don't if we can't guarantee we can get that done we'll describe it we'll, we'll break it up and go no the first step is this client this is what we're going to do then we'll work it out so we're I think there's a, um, a danger of over promising things and therefore the client being surprised when it doesn't happen when in fact if we thought about it we're like actually for your situation that's probably not going to happen mm. you know so really thinking about what we can deliver and when and being reasonable about that so that's another one so yeah they're just it's they're all quite you know they're different and quirky but they're the key difference is the values are characteristics. My mates could describe that about me. It's not a esoteric high-level HR thing, you know. It's something really personal to each person that overlaps. And that means when you get them together, there's a vibe that naturally happens, mm. you know. So, even if they're different, there's a common ground.
0: Your advice business with your processes, the level of time and engagement, mm. Um How are you priced? Are you Suzuki, Hyundai? Are you Toyota? Are you moving into that Ford or up to Lexus, Merck, BMW? No, not at all.
2: So I'd say – Dare I say
0: Maserati? Yeah, No, not
2: at all. Not even close. So we – I would say we used to be um, sort of more at the end of lawnmower, Kia sort of end and we're 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 literally going through a repricing process and we'll probably sit firmly in the Toyota.
0: Yeah. Um, Get what you pay for. Absolutely. It's
2: Accessible. Yeah. Um, not overdone, not complicated, really consistent, reliable, mm. comfortable. You yeah. know, somebody to rely on. Like it's, that's where our, our sweet spot is. Yeah. It means – that's why we're obsessed with tech. Because yeah. I've, I've got to squeeze every amount of time and value I can. And
0: living sand.
2: <laughs> right, out of the team because we're priced at a much lower range, mm. which is why I'm, it's so interesting because you'd think, therefore, I'm really excited about you know, scaled advice and let's find how we can lower the cost of advice. But I think, I think that's a mistake because when you lower the price of things, people value them less. And I don't think we need to get the Australian public to value advice less I think we need yeah, to do 500 the reverse. big ones is
1: <laughs> is a good baseline. Right,
2: so I think the mistake is that they told us to your point they told us they would pay $500 for advice as it stands. If we'd painted a picture of what advice could be, they might have said 2000, they might have said 4000. So I think that's the difference is, and that's where we've just done a brainstorming with a team where what would our irresistible advice offer look like and how would we package it? So that's stuff I talked about with the decision-making. We're probably going to go to them having packages that are like literally, well, how would you decide to um, tree change versus sea change? How would you decide whether you renovate
1: or sell and and buy? And And that's part of your diagnostic, Peter, that you're sending to a client to establish that. Is that right?
2: So that's the intent. So that's where we're going because I that truly that's the trigger for them. Like that's the thing they're trying to do. Mm. It's like we're stuck, we're paralysis, analysis, paralysis. We don't know what to do. Um, There's a house over there I really like, but we could renovate and I love our house and I don't like – and then they go, oh, and you know what? Our mortgage might be overpriced and we don't have insurance. We'll go and see an advisor. Well, sure, we can help with that other stuff, but the thing that really is keeping them up at night is where they want to live. So to me that – is where the offer can sit and then, sure, this other stuff we can get done, but that's
1: that's just going to get done. And it's interesting that you're still including cash flow in that dynamic because there are two schools of thought on cash flow that, you know, there's this one school of thought that says it's essential because it gives you sort of parameters on the client's world and what they can and can't do. But then there's another school of thought that says it's just so heavy in time investment? <laughs> what would your – and I know that that's actually a debate you've had with yourself and the yes. team around, you know, you don't have these um, Maserati-type clients yep. like Glenn. So how do you actually provide that service? Like, Yes. What, do, what we've realised
2: is you've got to chunk it. So instead of having the offer, it's like – so if you went to Disneyland and the only thing you could do is buy a week ticket – that got you to every park that had special services and it always cost two thousand dollars well of course not everybody would be going to Disneyland whereas when you go if you go um oh, I want to buy a ticket maybe we'll go for two days gee that photo thing with Belle the the beauty lady would be great like you end up spending maybe five hundred dollars but you started just buying a ticket so to me you could do a, di- a cash diagnostic just where are you at now what state are you in do you even know if you spend more than you earn Like that is an offer. That's a thing you can do. These systems now do it relatively simply. It does require some tweaking, but we're talking a couple of hours of work by somebody who can take a look at the transactions and you could give them a report that says, this is where you're at now, right? Now that's valuable. It sounds simple to us, but it's really valuable to people because lots of them are going, I don't even know where I'm at. You know, that freaks them out. So if you can chunk it and then they can know, well, but what should I do next? What are some of the things we're doing wrong? Okay, well, we've got this one-to-many program you could do and we're going to work through your spending and the waste in your spending and then you'll end up with approximately this amount more at the end. Wow, fantastic. Where do I buy?
1: And so you're in, in a way building the habits yeah. for those people to ultimately – progress and transform into that person that they want to be. Correct. And I acknowledge that that is a very different thing
2: than advisors are A, trained for, and B, been working on for years. I, I get that. But if I was to wave a magic wand for every Australian, it would be that they could spend less than they earn. If I if you could just do that, you would transform the outcome for them. Totally. Totally. Whereas if you waved a magic wand and gave them an extra 2K in their super, that's not the same level of transformation. It actually doesn't have that viral. Right, exactly, emotional relief. But also the viral nature of spending less than you earn ends up being worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars over their life. Mm. You know, and so to me, impact of cash flow is so big. Even if they only work with you for six months or a year, the multiplier effect of that is life-changing. Mm. So uh, so you're a four cash flow now. <laughs> Look, I am, but yeah. I think that means there'll yeah. be some advisors who stay in the technical space and they just partner with people who do that. Mm. Um, but I think we have ignored it at our peril. I think it literally represents the chasm between the public and financial advice is the fact that very few of us are dealing with the single biggest worry most people have about mm. money. Yeah, you know, And if you keep on ignoring that, then they're going to keep on ignoring us. Mm. So that's why we're investing time and energy into it. To be frank, we've been talking about it a long time and doing a lot of investigation, trialing it, you know, one at a time with people. Mm. And that's where we got to the conclusion that we needed to chunk it. It needed to be things they could see. Some people will just go, "I want everything," you know, mm. "I want the whole thing." But others are like, "Well, just, like maybe just tell me where we're at." Now. Okay, I can see that. That might be a few hundred dollars or whatever the price is okay, right, I can see value here. Right now, what might I do next? Mm. You know, so.
0: so if you're out there and you are looking to transform your business, my advice would be what's one thing that you can learn from Peter and her business?
2: Yeah, so if I was to twist that and say, if you're working in a business, so if you're newbie mm. or right in the industry and you're working in a business, what I would say to you is, stop waiting for your practice manager or boss or the dealer group to tell you the next efficient thing you should do. Mm. Um, if you are a new entrance to the industry, there is a good chance you're relatively young and therefore pick up tech very quickly. I would say apply a Netflix, Netflix subscription dollar amount per month. So let's call it $15 a month. You could get three apps, that would transform your productivity and how, and your output and you're going to look like a genius in the office mm. and that will be viral and it will impact the office and how effective they are. So text expander is one that's amazing. So that is something where you do backslash S and it puts in three paragraphs about um, structuring your insurance or whatever you type frequently. So there's text expander can save you a few hours a week, right? So that would be one. Um, another one I'd say is is... And I say with great love and awareness of how wonderful new entrants are, they can't manage their time. Is something that we consistently see, as in, what have I got to do? What are the priorities? What do I do next? Oh, I forgot that thing the boss said I needed to do. Get a to-do app, Sounds to-doist like me. or something. Right? We all struggle with it, right? But, but seriously, all our working lives, mm. get to-doist or one of those. It's about four bucks a month. Get that. Transform. You will look like a guru. You'll be organised. You'll know what you need to do. It'll teach you how to prioritise. The third thing I do, and I've only recently... So this, in the last 12 months, I've cottoned onto this and it's transformed my output, is something like Brain.fm. So Brain.fm is an app that has music designed to get you into a neural phase lock. That just means you're in the zone. So that's a tricky word for being in the zone. So this music, they'll only play it for 30 minutes or an hour. You put on your noise-cancelling headphones. And if you're doing deep work like... Producing an SOA, like you're doing that sort of technical stuff, then you will produce in that hour three hours worth of work. It's incredible because it the music is designed to lock Can your brain Spotify in. Spotify
0: playlists.
2: There is there's some of those on Spotify. Mm. These so that's generally those those generally those are actual music. This is almost like techno music designed specifically for this task. So it's done by neural scientists. Yeah, I
1: actually, I actually uh, took that tip off you, Peter, because you you found that and I've borrowed that mm. and found it, you know, for someone who can get distracted by shiny things, right. I've found it incredibly valuable for a $10 spend. Right. It's because r- that time boxing thing is so important, just setting aside time for specific things rather than multitasking all the time. Yeah. Is just and so powerful in productivity. Absolutely. And I think
2: because what, like we can have, we can convince all Australians to pay a fortune for their advice. That's great um, if we lift that level and they're suddenly all going for is, irresistible advice. But I think it is on us not to waste our efforts when we're doing it. Stop wasting time. Stop wasting energy. Stop. And I think there's a lot of that in our processes. There's a lot of that in our systems. There's, we haven't worked, for most of us, we haven't worked out ways to get a lot done in only three hours a day. You know, so that stuff can both transform your output and how you look to your boss and the job, but also your well-being. You know, long energy, hours yeah. and all of that. Absolutely, it's it's not on. Um, I worked in mergers and acquisitions and corporate finance, and you know, fourteen-hour days plus. Um, that's not how you be effective. You know, so to me, those are the things that I'd get people to do that are literally about your own productivity and your own way of working and your own well-being. And then I guess the other thing I'd say that I didn't do early enough. So if I could say one thing I wish I'd done was I wish I had started a spreadsheet when I first started that was collecting anecdotes. So when you are being doing advice, when you're providing advice, storytelling is a key part of that write analogies, things that connect people with something they need to learn or understand. And you will have situations throughout your life that are a perfect analogy for something. Get a spreadsheet now, listener, go now, open a Google sheet, call it your anecdote list. And whenever you think of them, add add it to the list. And over time, A, you'll have a blog list you could end up writing, but it is invaluable to have those stories collected. I end up using mine now for when I do presenting because anecdotes are really valuable in presenting for the same reason as they're good for advisors. So I wish I'd started that earlier mm. because you'd have 300 stories. And
1: borrow the, the stories you hear or 100%. the analogies you hear other
2: advisors Absolute. have been around. It could around be something on the, the news. Grounds.
1: It could be some yeah. ridiculous thing on the news
2: that somebody did and you went, wow, I need to tell my next insurance clients that look yeah. like that. Turn they the would detail never think, into a story. Absolutely. Just write it down and then you can use it later.
0: So, so good. Now, are we done here? <laughs>
1: You're done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we might wrap that up. Uh, Peter Diamatides, thank you so much for jumping on with You'd Known today. Now, if you are intrigued with the systems, the processes, the engagement, the journey that you've been on over the last handful of years – and transforming your business, scaling up your business, being more efficient and will now be charging more soon, Mm. we'll put a link in the show notes because you've got uh, a bit of a consulting thing that you're able to do uh, with businesses?
2: 100%. So most people, out of the two things we've, broad things we've covered being irresistible advice and then efficiency, most people don't know where to start. And in fact, the people in their team know where to start. So Mm. a lot of what I end up doing is facilitating a workshop within the business to help them draw that out. Mm. Um, And so it could be a building an irresistible advice workshop or it could be what's the next thing we need to fix in the practice type of thing. But um, I will give you guys some details of what I'm doing in that space. And in fact... um, Given everybody's struggling and a bit flat and 2020 killed us all, then I've actually got something that's sort of at cost, really. So people will be able to get me at far less than you would otherwise so that I can see more practices and help them. So I'm really keen to get people a bit revved up again. I don't know about you guys, but it's Mm. been – we all still feel a bit beaten up. So this sort of work can really
0: energise you. Walking through the
1: quicksand. I think you've got some steps out of that quicksand. And and I've
0: been coining – the industry's been through a compliance squeeze. Yes. And, you know, that's education, the compliance, the licensee – mergers and insurance company like it's been wild out there and uh, yeah there'll be a link in the show notes to reach out to Peter and you can follow her on uh, LinkedIn LinkedIn. definitely and Danny yeah,
1: and and thank you so much for coming in Peter look I do know businesses that have worked with Peter on this stuff you know I think One of the things you've really helped practices be like you can be very, very busy and not actually achieve a lot and that can be really overwhelming, especially when things keep mounting up. And certainly from what I've seen, you know, Peter helps businesses be effective, not just efficient and then preserve that energy for the right things and that business development and that strategic work. So if you are looking for help on automation, if you are helping for look for ideas around how to build your model, how to price your model, and how to make it irresistible, I would really suggest reaching out to Peter for some mentorship. Thank you. It's been fun.
0: Love it. Later. See you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are in the advice world and you've made it this far, my question to you is who can you forward this episode to? Thank you so much for listening. This was made possible because of My Risk Advisor. You can head over to the Facebook group, My Risk Advisor, and join in on the conversation.